0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22, we have this statement. uh, Paul is writing, he says, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when he has, it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. He's talking about like when you leave your last will and testament and it's, it's, uh, it's certified, no one can change the terms of that last will and testament. And he goes on and says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham. So he's talking about the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's really quite an interesting story. If you go back to Genesis fifteen, which I'm not going to, but if you go back and read Genesis fifteen, you see that God came to Abraham and made a covenant with him. He's the one who called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he came down to the promised land. And uh Abraham God meets Abraham, and he's an old man now. He's about a hundred years old. And uh this is what God promises him. He says I I'm I'm, he speaks this this blessing to Abraham and his seed he does not say and to seeds plural as referring to many but rather to one and to your seed that is Christ while I am saying what I'm saying is this that the law which came 430 years after 430 years later the law comes on the scene but God has made these promises 430 years before But the Judaizers, those who were Jewish Christians who thought we should live under the law, they argued with Paul that a person would have to keep the law in order to be saved, not not just faith, but it's actually obedience to the law. Paul says, no, the law was given for a purpose. If the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. And God made promises to Abraham. He said he would cause all the nations of the world to be blessed through Abraham's seed, which is Christ. Now, there's a play on words here. The word seed is one of those collective words like fish. It can mean one fish or a thousand fish, and it could be one seed or a thousand seed, but he makes it clear. Paul makes it clear. He was talking about Christ. He said, I'm going to bless all the nations through your seed, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be the one that God uses to bring this blessing. And he had made this promise to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, which he made with with him in Genesis 15. So then we should ask the question, why the law then, the text says. It was added because of transgressions. But what does that mean? It simply means that God wanted us to know just how sinful we are and how much we need grace. I was saved by grace. You were saved by grace. Everyone who's ever saved through Christ, has been saved by grace. It's a gift that God gives us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We receive it as a gift through faith. And he says, uh, uh, the, it was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through the angels by the agency of a mediator. Now, that may, you might may be f- not familiar with this, but this is talking about the giving of the law. The giving of the law was given through a mediator, in this case, it was Moses the mediator and and the the angels that God sent to give them the law, and this law was in effect until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now they wanted to argue that you couldn't get those promises that God promised to Abraham unless you kept the law, and so people who Paul who was preaching that you can be saved through faith by grace through faith plus nothing. And he says, but no, the, the, the law was given for a purpose. It wasn't given to save anybody. It was given in order to uh, let us know that we need a savior. We need a, a heart change, not just a law change. It wasn't just that they needed a different law that would be easier, but what they needed was a heart circumcised, which means that it would be changed. It would be made new. And so the the writer of Galatians, which is Paul, says, whereas God is only one, God used a mediator. Now, what he means by that is God was making a covenant with Abraham, which was an unconditional covenant. He didn't say, if you do this and this and this, then I will do this. He just said, this is what I'm going to do for you. And so it's an unconditional covenant. God is going to do what he has promised to do. And so the mediator between... Abraham and, and God, there was no need for it because God is one and he was doing what he was doing of his own will. He didn't need a mediator to make sure that he did what he was supposed to do because he is a righteous God. And so he says, for if, the, if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. That is, you wouldn't receive eternal life until you kept the law. But then he says in verse 22, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, here's the point. He gave the law so people would know that they would have to have a savior who could save them by grace and not through their works because they would fail miserably. They would fall. One of the things that Paul said in Romans 7, that's where it's at, it's in Romans 7. What he said was that he had lived under the law and he said, I tried to live for God under the law, and I finally came to the place where I said, Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? In other words, the law revealed to him that he needed a savior, not just somebody who said, well, if you do these 25 things, then you can have this gift. No, God had made him promises, and so he discovers that he cannot live a perfect obedience to the law. He kept breaking the law. And so he says, who's going to deliver me from this? And his answer is interesting, because his answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. I know that it's right. I know that this is what I should do, but he breaks the law. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Most of us have experienced that. And he goes on, he says, for if a law had been given which was able to impart life, and that is, energize us to do the right thing, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. God says, keep this law, and those who keep it would be saved. But the fact is, we are all broken, and none of us can keep the law perfectly, and so the law simply condemns us. But what it does, the reason the law was given 430 years after the the covenant with Abraham, where God made him all these promises— was to show us that we needed a Savior, and he's exactly the Savior who's going to come, and through him all the nations will be blessed, because he's a Savior who saves us through his work and his righteousness and his obedience, not ours. So he says that that what the law did, it shut everyone up under sin so that the promise of faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. The law didn't change the promises. In verses 15 through 18, he tells us this. He says, because God is more faithful than his own creatures. In verse 15, he says, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. That's, that's like your last will and testament. There, no one is going to change it. It's, it's, it's been written and sealed, and it's going to take place. And so he says that's the way the Abrahamic covenant was. God made Abraham promises. Even among humans, honoring a will is a sacred trust. Uh, The Abrahamic covenant, which is given to us, by the way, in Genesis chapter 15, you can read the account of God making covenant with Abraham, and he does the strangest thing. This is the way a covenant was made. Two people would make a covenant, and they would take animals and cut them in half and lay them out, and they would walk in between the different halves of those animals that had been killed and their blood was shed and the what it was supposed to signify was if you don't keep your half of the bargain then you'll be like these animals you will you will be worthless uh and so this is this is what god did he put Ab- abraham to sleep and he walked through the animals by himself in other words it was an unconditional covenant that god said i promise you i will do this i promise you this is what you will receive and so the the uh, the covenant was based totally upon God and His willingness to obey His own uh, promises, what He's going to, to deliver His own promises. So it's a one-sided grant or a one-party guarantee. So there was nobody, there was no need for a mediator to mediate between God the Father and Abraham because God had promised him, "This is what I'm going to do for you." Now Abraham was like an astonished spectator. God puts him to sleep. And he wakes up, and he sees this this blight going through the, the midst of the animals, and he recognizes this is God. God is saying, I'm going to take responsibility for obeying this covenant so that you receive what I'm promising you. So, he's he's watching, and he's understanding that what God is doing for him is he is promising to fulfill everything that needs to be fulfilled in order for these promises to be fulfilled in in Abraham's life and his and his seed in his descendants' life as well. Now uh, the law uh, didn't change the promises we're, we're told, and so it's because the law was given for a purpose. It was to so that we would wake up and see the truth about ourselves. Now let me uh, let me read something to you. Uh, God is faithful to His own Son, and that's why. Uh, he, that these these promises will not be changed. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds is referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. Because this was one of the, the terms that was used regarding Christ. He was a seed of Abraham. He was a descendant of Abraham. The seed to whom the promise was made it was this seed through whom all the nations would be blessed. And so he's talking about Jesus becoming the Christ, the son of the living God. And these promises were not fulfilled in 430 years, and that's when the law was given. God's blessing of justification by grace through faith are in and through Christ, and they span the, the ages. The law is an interim, has an interim function. It was given for a purpose. The essential point is this, promises can't be considered fulfilled until Christ completes his role of blessing all the nations. He must come and fulfill these promises. And the second reason that we could say that God didn't change, this doesn't change the promises is because God must be faithful to his word. Listen to this. This is written in verse 17. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate, that means set aside a covenant previously ratified by god so as to nullify the promise the judaizers that is those who were telling paul you can't be saved without keeping the law and and what they were saying was the law was above the promises obedience to the law is a condition for you to get the promises you have to obey the law in order to get the promises but paul is saying no you don't you you there are no conditions god meets all the conditions In verse 18, he says, for if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. If I make a a contract with you and I say, if you do this, then I will do this. If you pay me $1,000, then I will give you my car. Well, here he says, no, this is an inheritance, and it's not based on law. It's based on a promise. God has promised us what he will do through Abraham and through Abraham's descendant, his seed, which is Christ.'" In fact, the promise and law are not antithetical by nature. God can't grant acceptance through promise and and law at the same time. They're opposites. You either say, this is a promise, I'm going to do it, it's unconditional, and I'm going to bring you this, I'm going to give this salvation to you. The word inheritance is, is the actual enjoyment of the benefits promised in the will of a person. And so if a person makes a will that is his last will and testament, and he tells in the will who it is that's going to receive what from him when he dies, the, the Holy Spirit is called a pledge. The, word, the Greek word "arabon," which is found in Ephesians 1.14, actually is used in modern Greek to describe a, a, uh, an engagement ring. It promises, it makes a promise, it makes a pledge. It's, it's a picture of a pledge of our inheritance, a non-refundable deposit. Today, when people buy homes, they put down a non-refundable deposit, except that now there's a lot of pressure so people will give in to it and refund the deposit when the person changes his mind about the purchase. But it's meant to be an unrefundable deposit because it, it is a deposit that's given and will not be taken back. And that's what God did for Abraham. He gave him a promise that cannot be undone. So by believing on Jesus Christ, you become an heir of God. You have an inheritance, which you will receive as an heir of God and joint heir of Jesus Christ. The law can't replace the promises. Why is that? Why is that? Why did he give the law then if it can't replace the promises? It was added because of transgressions, he says in verses 19 and 20. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, angels... Were acted like mediators when they brought the law to Moses and gave it to him at Mount Sinai. It wasn't so that they could keep this law and then receive great gifts from God. This this law was given to reveal man's sin, not save him from it. Why the law then? Well, it was added because of transgressions. He says it was added so that they could see in their own life the, how great the need was. I need a savior. I don't just need somebody that can slightly help me. I need someone who can save me from my own sin. So in this act, by giving the law, the law performs the function of showing man's need of a savior.
1: The New English
0: Bible translates it this way, to make wrongdoing a legal offense. You know, my, my sins don't look bad if I never compare them to any, anything else. Uh, but when they're put out in the sunlight, they are real wrongdoing. And that's what the law did. Through law, sin comes out into the open and multiplies itself. It's necessary so that the indispensability of Christ would come to be rightly understood. In order for people to understand that Christ is the basis of our salvation, you would have to realize that you need a salvation that only Christ could could give you. It was a salvation that was based upon his death in our place. Um, Because the law was temporary, and this is what it says in verse 19, until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. In other words, the law was given until the seed came who was going to fulfill the promise, blessing all the nations. The promise pointed to and was materialized in Christ, but till he came, the law had to bring sin out more and more and cause the sinner to flee to God for mercy. And that's what it produced. It produced uh, people who would turn to God and say, God you must save me i can't save myself i am too sinful the law isn't contrary to the promises uh, in galatians 3:21 and 22 it says is is the law then contrary to the promises of god and he answers may it never be or god forbid for if a law had been given which was able to impart life then righteousness would indeed have been based on law but the scriptures have shut up men under sin that's what he says he has the scriptures have shut up men all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, it lets you know that the only way that you can be saved is by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The legalizers were saying, you make the law evil. Uh, you, You act as though it's opposed to grace. Well, it is. It's true. The law increases transgression. In a sense, it even kills, we're told in Romans 7. Still, the law is not bad. It is good. In fact, it is so good that if a man could do what the law requires, he would find life, we're told in Galatians 3.12. But it does not impart life. Uh, There is is a phrase in Romans 8.1 that's really fascinating. He says, this is how the verse goes. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for what the law could not do, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and he says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus satisfies the God, the father's requirements of righteousness in our life but what does that mean the law of the spirit of life well that's using the word law like you would use it if you talked about the law of gravity it is a law that has power its power at work and that power at work the law of the spirit of life is the holy spirit empowering jesus christ to live the life that he did he submitted himself to his need to have the spirit empower him to live as the savior for whom, who we look to and believe on for, for salvation. The technical term for, for locking up, uh, keeping detention, when it says he shut up all men under sin, this word is using the fact that all humanity is locked into this situation. And so the, 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 the answer to their problem is the same for every person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who has come, and he is the Savior who is able to save. And what the law did, it hemmed people in so that they might turn, they might not turn from their attempts to please God through legalism and instead receive the promise of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the conclusion of the matter is this. The ultimate solution to the disharmony between God's laws and the character of people was not a change in the law. Wouldn't it be something if God says, here, let me give you a special law. It would be easy for you to do. And so he gives us a different law. I always wanted a law like that. But the fact is, they didn't need a new law, but a new heart. The nature of the people was such that they needed more than circumcision. They needed circumcision of the heart, which is just another way of describing a heart made new. In Jeremiah's new covenant, when he gives it in Jeremiah 31, he spoke of that and the two groups on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, where you have declared the message that the law does not need improvement, but the heart of the people did. What The reason we need salvation is not because the law is so difficult. It is because our hearts are so damaged they can't obey a righteous standard. And so this is what God did. He let them know that they were going to need a savior who could save people who were truly sinful and that's what he did. So this this part of of uh, Galatians is telling us that the law did not set aside the promises that God made to Abraham which includes our salvation. But instead that the that the 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 the, the covenant that God made with Abraham is the covenant that will save us. It is the covenant that includes the, com- the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming into the world and, and representing us and going to the cross and dying in our place so that our hearts could be changed and we could have faith that saves us from this sinful condition that, that manifests itself as we live under the law. So the ultimate solution to the disharmony between God's laws and the character of a fallen race Was not a change in the law, but a change in the people. They did not need a new law, but they needed a new heart. And that's what God gave them. The nature of people was such that they needed more than circumcision, they needed circumcision of the heart. They needed a heart made new so that they could truly believe on the Lord Jesus and know that they needed a Savior outside of themselves who was able to save them from their sin. And that's what God provided for us. He has provided a Savior who can save real sinners and bring us into a right relationship with god and that's what the book of galatians is all about it's all about this glorious work of god that he's done in christ jesus father we pray that you would drive this this truth home to our hearts we want your truth your word the gospel to sink deep into our hearts and have sway over it we pray that we would come to understand father that we in ourselves cannot save ourselves but you have provided a real savior that can really save us and really give us forgiveness and righteousness and truth. And so we pray for that, Father, that you would cause this message to sink deep into our heart and we would believe it. And we would receive this salvation that is by faith. It is not of works lest anyone should boast because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our good works are simply the evidence that you have saved us. And we thank you for that. we pray, oh God, that you would work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.